episode 58 and it is a good one to end the month of august we got our good friend tim murray who's back to preview week zero and the entire college football season with us tim hosting uh the nightcap for vcin live out there in las vegas joins us next we are joined by our good friend host of the nightcap on vcin tim murray tim always good to have you on the pod and i know that you have like christmas day level of excitement (laughs) right now i think at like this point in the sports year and then kind of like right at the end of february when you're just ready for march madness are probably the two like most anticipating times um just how excited are you to to watch this upcoming college football season yeah it's gonna be great guys and always uh Appreciate the time and uh, jumping on with you, uh, fellas. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this weekend will be a nice uh, wedding of the beak, so to speak, when you think about uh, this week zero slate, which isn't great. But, you know, North Nebraska, Illinois, I think we could uh, find out some things. UCLA, certainly some buzz there about them, so hosting Hawaii. Uh, so a couple games, I, I, you know, personally being out here on the West Coast, I wish those games were a little bit later in the day, the early afternoon games, but that's uh, beggars can't be choosers. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think the great thing is that we all dealt with uh, the unusual circumstances and the unfortunate uh, situation last year. And I know it's not gone, but um, you know, to have these high profile non-conference games back in our lives is, is tremendous. You know, week, week two, we get out, uh, you know, Oregon visiting Ohio state, uh, we got Georgia and Clemson in week one on a neutral field. Uh, you know, obviously Alabama, Miami. So uh, there's a, a host of things that are that that are uh, why you should be excited. And uh, yeah, it's it's game time. I mean, I love that college football really has embraced that week one, that Labor Day weekend, as the NFL stays away. Uh, so you have uh, you have games starting on Wednesday night. I think there's an FCS matchup, uh, FBS versus FCS. I, escaping me right now but great games on thursday solid games on friday saturday sunday monday it's uh it's a it's a a beautiful beautiful thing to us to start the college football season now you talk about week one and it's gotten bigger and bigger in college football really over the last five ten years is week one your favorite week of the year i know what rivalry week's great you have obviously new year's day with the big bowl games and all that um, but is this the week that you look forward to most? It's a tough one because I do love bowl season. I, I'm, I'm a weirdo. I, I love, I love it too. Season. I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, Christmas Eve, good news. We'll have the Hawaii bowl back, which is always great. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be fun to see. Uh, so I do love bowl season. Obviously the, I feel like the buzz has gone away a little bit this year. We do have a playoff back on new year's Eve, which is just a really uh, disappointing uh, decision that they keep going back to. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I would have to say it, it's hard to say, you know, prior to the season what your favorite week is because, that you know, that changes and, and, you know, games get more intriguing as the year goes on. But I think this year, guys, with five games between ranked teams, some conference games, right? We have Indiana and Iowa. We have yeah. Penn State uh, taking on Wisconsin, true road games. Uh, that's really a unique aspect to this schedule. In addition to a team uh, in Louisiana Lafayette that brings back, uh, I think, every starter from a, a really good football team last year, and they go visit Texas. 
So, yes, the, the high-profile games like Georgia and Clemson, which should be tremendous, a top-five matchup in week one. Uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, to dive into it and to have five matchups of top 25 teams, to have an FC, uh, excuse me, to have a group of five matchup like we do on, on Thursday night down at, at Central Florida with Boise State taking on UCF. I thought that was a brilliant move to move that game to Thursday. Really is the, uh, the big boy of that Thursday night. Uh, Friday should be interesting. I don't think that highly of Virginia Tech, but uh, UNC, ton of buzz, preseason top 10. So I, I think the way they kind of uh, maneuvered the schedule uh, adds to a lot of, uh, of interest. And then, you know, Sunday night, um, you know, obviously I'm a Notre Dame guy, preseason top 10, a lot of questions about the Irish. And a lot of questions about Florida State. I think there's some a little bit of optimism that that things will will have gotten better uh, down at Florida State. And then to, to close the weekend, I think Louisville's going to be down. Uh, but that Ole Miss out there, Ole Miss, man, they could be a fun team to watch. I think they have arguably the best quarterback in the conference in Matt Corral. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess to answer your question long-winded, right now, sure, I think it is. I mean, as the week goes on, you know, always that, that Saturday after Thanksgiving is always a phenomenal right. day. Uh, that's always yeah. a really, really good one. Yeah, you know, championship Saturday is awesome. You know? That is good, too. <laughs> the point of this conversation yeah. is all of college football season is awesome. That You can sum it up yeah. by saying that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about championship Saturday. I'm like, oh, you know what? Now, Friday night we get to Pac-12 all day on Saturday. Uh, we spread that bad boy out. Uh, the potential, you know, right now, I think, I'm sure we'll dive into the spe- specifics, but, the, you know, the, the thought of, UNC and Clemson, uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin or Iowa, uh, you know, and Georgia and Alabama, uh, a lot of playoff implications, I think, this year, maybe more than ever. And even in the Pac-12, you know, I think whoever comes out of the Pac-12 North, uh, either Oregon, I think, has more talent. But I think the schedule really plays out well for Washington. The fact that they have Oregon coming into Seattle this year, which is always a challenging place to play. Uh, the curiosity about USC some some love about UCLA. So uh, I love this weekend. I think championship weekend might slightly trump it just because of what those implications may be. And the fact that the likelihood, guys, you look at uh, Georgia and Alabama played in the regular season last year. Don't do that this year. I think that'll be the matchup we get. Uh, you know, Ohio State and Wisconsin don't play in the regular season. That has the potential of being a huge, huge game of playoff implications. Uh, UNC, I mean, they have – they have a realistic shot uh, to to be in the discussion uh, for the college football playoff if they go eleven and one or maybe even twelve and zero. So uh, we will see. But uh, yeah, I think the bookends of the regular season are, are pretty top notch right now. And starting off those first couple of weeks, you mentioned Clemson, Georgia, and then Oregon, Ohio State, two marquee matchups. Um, of those two games, Oregon and Ohio State, and then Clemson and Georgia, in each individual matchup. Which team do you think needs their respective game more for their resume's sake? Fast forward three and a half months. I think it's got to be Oregon uh, because the Pac-12 has been held out of the playoff for five years, guys. And if they are able to go into Columbus, which, by the way, will be a 9 a.m. Pacific start time, um, if they're able to go into Columbus and get that win, it allows them the flexibility to finally drop a game. You know, the Pac-12 really has had no wiggle room for quite some time. And as a conference, it tends to cannibalize itself. You know, look at the odds right now, guys. Odds on favorite in the Big Ten, Ohio State. Odds on favorite in the uh, SEC, Alabama. Massive favorite in the ACC, Clemson. 
you can get you know plus two stuff two dollars and change uh, on on anybody in the conference. Uh, so that just shows you the parity and uh, the questions that are there. Oregon's got a lot of talent. Can they put it all together? That remains to be seen. But of those four teams, I think the one who needs it the most is a road team, which I, I think might, you know, to some say, well, you know, they, you know, they're not supposed to win that game. No, they're not. But the way the Pac-12 has been looked at in the eyes of the committee guys, that's why I think that that win, if they were able to get it, would go miles and would allow them a slip up uh, against Washington, a slip up against Utah. And if they were ultimately able to come out of the Pac-12, 12 and one conference loss, win over Ohio State, they would be in, I think, pretty good shape. So I think Georgia, I think Clemson and Ohio State have the ability to rebound. I don't know if Oregon, I think Oregon could get really a lot of mileage out of winning that game. And straight up in week one, Clemson, Georgia is the marquee matchup. But outside of that, talking about favorite weeks of the season, what's your favorite game on the schedule for week one outside of Clemson, Georgia? That's got and all of the hype train driven right through it. Uh, but there, there are some other ones as well that stick out. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, jumping out, uh, Penn State and Wisconsin has a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of buzz this year on Wisconsin. They bring back a ton. Uh, what will Graham Mertz do? Uh, you know, no controversy. Uh, you know, remember last year he came out like gangbusters against Illinois and then, you know, hey, all right. but I felt like he anointed him maybe a little too soon, but he's got a lot coming back. There's a lot of hype about this Wisconsin team. Uh, you know, they, they miss uh, off the top of my head. I know they miss Ohio State. I think they miss Penn State too in crossover games. Uh, they have that neutral site game against Notre Dame on September 25th. And then you got Penn State coming off just a dreadful season last year, right? 0-5 to start the year, ended up 4-5. and uh, new offensive coordinator. So there's a lot of questions about Penn State. That place will be rocking at Camp Randall, you know, big noon on Fox. Uh, so I think that's a really intriguing one. And then Alabama, despite the fact that they're now a 20-point favorite in some spots against Miami guys, I think that game, you know, I think we can learn a lot about both teams. Uh, there's there's a lot of expectations about Miami. Surprise, surprise. Uh, they, they tend to have these lofty expectations and never – ultimately deliver but the Eric King is back and and then you look at Alabama uh, they always reload but the fact is that they lost Devontae Smith they lost Jalen Waddle they lost Najee Harris they lost Mac Jones all of those guys first round picks as phenomenal and as amazing as that program is guys are they infallible uh kind of think yes but uh we'll see opening weekend so uh, I think that one uh is really really fascinating too uh on Saturday you mentioned all those names and it's still just like a fraction of what they actually lost, which is just remarkable what Saban can do every year. And PJ, you can take your smile over there and shove it somewhere else. We know that you're going to gloat about that. They're going to be good this year. <laughs> um, Tim, is there a team that comes to your mind that you are just most excited to watch this season, whether it's because they have a new coach or they dealt with COVID issues. So we really didn't get to see him at face value or it's a team like Louisiana or Coastal Carolina or San Jose State that has all these returning players in a uh, Power Five, non-Power Five conference. What's a team that you're just really excited to watch? Yeah, I'll give you a couple. Uh, we'll start with the big boys. Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a lot of buzz. Do they have enough to make a run in the playoff? We know that they're good enough to make it to the playoff, but can they get over the top this year? And I think that coincides with Iowa State. There's a lot of intrigue 
about Iowa State, right? They win the Orange Bowl, or excuse me, the Fiesta Bowl last year uh, against Oregon. Really good game plan. Uh, they've never had this type of preseason hype. Number seven in the AP poll, uh, you know, a week two showdown where they're a seven-point favorite against Iowa. They haven't beaten Iowa by more than a touchdown in 15 years, and they're, they're a seven-point favorite mm. in that game. They lost five straight to their, to their in-state rivals. So, um, but I'm really, really curious to see Oklahoma because the buzz is, guys, this year is that they have enough talent finally defensively uh, to make a run in the playoff. Because let's look at the last two times. And as a Notre Dame fan, Irish get a lot of grief for, for getting their butts whipped the two playoff appearances. Well, it's not like Oklahoma has fared all that well. But let's be honest, you know. They gave up a 63-burger to Joe Burrow in LSU. Uh, the 45-34 loss against Alabama wasn't indicative of how that game really played out. So they have a lot to prove if they're able to make it back to the playoff. But uh, I do think they have a lot of talent. Uh, you know, A.J. Grinch, uh, their defensive coordinator is a guy that uh, a lot of people are high on. So Oklahoma amongst the big boys. When we get a little bit further down, um, you know, a couple plays that I have uh, in the futures market, Toledo to win their conference, the MAC. Um, I got them at six to one. That that is long gone. And, Tim Murray uh, going futures bet in a Mac. I love that. That made my day. <laughs> uh, Toledo brings back a lot of people, guys. And uh, you know they have a week two showdown against Notre Dame. Uh, as a Notre Dame fan, I'm I'm pretty scared about how that game could play out. Uh, I think ultimately the Irish will win, but that could be a spot where Toledo can make a statement, keep things close. So that's a team uh, that that really has a lot to bring it back. The Mac in in general. Uh, granted, I, uh, I did a lot of homework on the Mac because I wrote about the Mac in our, our recent college football betting preview. Um, but they've got a lot of talent coming back. I mean, that's kind of the, the crux of this year, guys, is, is around the country, how many teams are bringing back uh, players. And then I, I, think, I think Hugh Freeze's squad at Liberty has a chance to really, really be a phenomenal football team. Think about how they closed out last year. They beat Coastal Carolina in overtime in a bowl game. Uh, they beat Virginia Tech. They crushed Syracuse, uh, almost beat NC State, lost by one down in Raleigh. Uh, they bring back everyone. Malik Willis is a first-round pick. Uh, they've got a couple games, guys, in November that are just going to be must-watch type of situations. November 6th, they go to Old Miss in the Hugh Freeze Revenge Bowl, Ooh. and then two weeks later, Liberty plays Louisiana. So... Liberty really has an opportunity as an independent to make some big-time noise this year. One of the most prolific offenses in college football last year. They do play Syracuse again. Uh, I think that game in September, they go back to the Carrier Dome. So I'm sure Dino Baber's squad will be licking its chops not to get humiliated again. Uh, but I think Liberty has, uh, has really uh, an opportunity to make a lot of noise, score a ton of points uh, with that offense, with that mind, a few frees. Look, uh, you know, all of his off-the-field discretions to the side, Hugh Freeze, you know, beat Nick Saban a couple of times down there at Old Miss. Doesn't have yeah. that talent, but he's got some talent, man. And uh, Malik Willis is their quarterback who's a dynamic superstar. So uh, watch Liberty this year. They're going to be a ton of fun. Willis and Corral, that's going to be a great quarterback matchup, too. People are going to be salivating over that one late in the season. Um, college football this year, it seems as a top five of Bama, Clemson, UGA, OU, and OSU, so pretty much like any other year. Uh, and then there's a next tier. After those five teams, if there's a party crasher to the playoff, who's your party crasher? 
Well, yeah, I think uh, we could take it twofold. You know, I have a I have a side bet right now with my co-host Sean King, uh, where he took everybody and I got the top five. Now he gets he gets uh, ten to one odds, but I, I I just don't know the the way the playoff is structured now, guys. As we have seen, it is almost impossible to compete with the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, the Georgias. And I guess Oklahoma that for this year, hopefully for, for, for Sooner fans, but really those top four for two games. And I think it happened in one game, but for two games, that's where it gets tricky. Just the depth of the talent, the way those teams have been recruiting, but who can crash the party? Well, a lot of people are intrigued by Cincinnati. Well, let's get to Cincinnati. Okay. So they have their schedule set up nicely uh, where they play Indiana uh, on September 18th, where they are, I believe a short road favorite. And then they have a bye week, then they play Notre Dame, at Notre Dame. And there is a, a lot of belief that Cincinnati can win that game. Uh, talking to an odds maker here in Las Vegas, he has Cincinnati power rated higher than Notre Dame. That doesn't mean they're a favorite. They're actually a short dog uh, at South, in South Bend that day. But a lot of people are looking at how the schedule shakes up uh, for Cincinnati. They have a bye week. Notre Dame plays Wisconsin the week prior. But – I will say this for Cincinnati to crash the park. Remember, we have never seen a group of five team make the playoff. Now, they have a couple check marks already in their column. They played great last year, so they got preseason hype. They are, you know, preseason number eight, uh, which is the highest a group of five team has ever been. Check. They have two games on the road against power five teams that are expected to be good. Both are top 25 teams. One is top 10 in Notre Dame. Check. Now, in order for that to work out, they need Notre Dame to not only lose to Cincinnati, obviously, but they need Notre Dame to go on and go like 10 and 2. And I think hypothetically beat USC and then have USC win the Pac-12. So there's a lot of trickle-down effects. They need Indiana to be good, too. 8 and 4, you know, similar to what they were. And oh, by the way, they need to beat UCF probably twice uh, in the regular season and then in the conference championship game. So a lot of things have to happen for Cincinnati. So I think that... They have the potential to crash the party. It almost feels like they're too uh, too popular of a of a pick there. Um, you know, uh, uh, I don't truly believe it, but I could see UNC crashing the party because they have a couple opportunities, right, guys? They have an October 30th game at Notre Dame. Uh, they have a game two weeks prior to that against Miami. So two top 25 teams there. Rest of the schedule pretty manageable. You win those two games, you're sitting pretty. Hell, if you lose to Notre Dame, you're 11 and one, and you beat Clemson, you're in. They have an opportunity at that final game if they set themselves up right to beat Clemson in that ACC championship. Then, then you're you're in really good shape. So, I think USC has an opportunity with a, a premier quarterback like Sam Howell. I just I don't think guys at Iowa State, in my opinion, can beat Oklahoma twice, and I think that's what they probably have to do. Uh, to crash the party. So um, I would say party crashers to me, UNC and, and maybe Cincinnati uh, based on the schedule. But if you maybe pick one, probably UNC just because of that ability to beat a top three team in the final week of the season. I agree on Iowa State. I love me some Coach Campbell. I wanted him for the Jets before we went and hired Sala. But uh, I think they lose to Iowa. Beating OU I can't wait for that game. Big. That's a good, great game, too. That's a great one. Uh, Tim, one more betting question for you before uh, PJ asks his final one and we get into your favorite Swift 7 and trivia. Um, off the top of your head, and I'm sure you've played a couple, 
Do you have a favorite over under win total for a team this season? Yeah, it's a couple. Um, I played so out here in Vegas, uh, the South Point allows you to play uh, under conference wins. And I went under five and a half on Buffalo. And, you know, remember, Buffalo uh, had a phenomenal year last year, went to the conference championship game, but their coach, Lance Leipold, left in the spring and then took about 10 players with them to Kansas. In addition to the fact that they lost Malcolm Kuntz, their defensive end, third-round pick to the Raiders, lost Jarrett Patterson, who likely will make the roster in Washington, uh, one of the great running backs in the country. So I think Buffalo is is in for a tricky spot. Their schedule isn't that is a, is a little daunting. Um, so I, I like under five and a half conference wins, even under seven and a half uh, wins overall for them. Uh, a couple more. Uh, Liberty over nine. Uh, I think the schedule shapes up. Uh, if they get to that Ole Miss game undefeated, you're smooth sailing. You got yourself a victory. There's a couple potential landmines there, but uh, you could fall on nine and uh, and get that push. But I think they, they ultimately get the double-digit wins this year. Uh, that Louisiana game, November 20th, will be interesting. But they do have a bye heading into that one. And then uh, I'll give you uh, one more. And I let's see if I can get my notes out in time for it. But uh, New Mexico over four and a half. Uh, New Mexico last year, guys, I had an opportunity to, to watch them up close and personal. Uh, Coach Gonzalez, I think, has just got something brewing there. And I think they bring a brought back. Uh, and, and if you just look at the schedule, uh, it, it's, it's doable. I'll pull it up real quickly. Uh, because, you know, this is a program that hasn't won a lot of football games. But remember last year, guys, I mean, they played – their entire football season in Las Vegas. Uh, they open up with an FCS opponent in Houston Baptist. They play New Mexico State, and then they play UTEP on the road. I think all of those games are absolutely winnable. And then the hardest games for them are all on the road. And when you're looking at win totals, I think that's good for good for that, right? San Diego State on the road, Wyoming on the road, uh, Fresno State on the road, Boise State on the road. They get Utah State at home. They get UNLV at home. They get Air Force at home, and they get Colorado State at home. I think they have seven winnable games on the schedule. Not to say they're going to win all of them, but I think uh, for them to go five and two in those seven games is, is absolutely doable. So uh, New Mexico over four and a half is one uh, that I like, too. I like it. Uh, before the Swift 7, Tim, you had Alabama winning it last year. You cashed in on that ticket. Who is your final four this year, and then who is your champion? Yeah, I tried to uh, be a little different. Um, I, I do like Georgia. That said, uh, they, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries there, and it makes me a little bit nervous. So the only futures ticket I have in pocket right now is Oklahoma 8-1. to one. Uh, I just thought the, the price was, uh, was absolutely worth it to grab at 8-1. to one. Uh, As for the playoff, uh, I think I predicted Clemson, Oklahoma, um, I want to say I had Alabama and Georgia in there. Uh, in my mind, I had, you know, two teams undefeated going head-to-head and, and losing. So right. I know it's going on a limb, uh, but college football is really not worth going on a limb. The futures market is not really that uh, fruitful. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Oklahoma, I don't know if they'll win it. Like, if you gave me, you know, just, just pick the national champion, um, you're probably looking at, Alabama, but I think Oklahoma has a as a as a potential guys at eight to one. 
that it's worth the, the shot. I, I don't think anyone outside of the top five can win it. I really don't. I don't think anyone, you know, from Texas A&M on has the uh, capabilities, in my opinion, of winning two games on, you know, New Year's Eve and then the championship game. But I think Oklahoma has the talent. They arguably have the best quarterback in the country. Uh, so that's the way I would go. My biggest question about Oklahoma is that offensive line. How is it going to come together? Because uh, they lost a lot of talent up front, and that's always kind of their bread and butter. But I think they could figure it out. Uh, so I, I will say Oklahoma, just based on the pricing, is, uh, is who I will grab for the national champion. Nice. All right. Uh, Swift seven time. Tim, question number one, the 12-team playoff. Do you love it or hate it? I love it. Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's really well thought out. Um, and it allows the uh, on-campus aspect to it, which is tremendous. Yes. And, and also what it brings, you know, guys, is the fact that, you know, with Notre Dame, using them as an example, uh, you know, you get, you get the uniqueness of Coastal Carolina going to South Bend in, in late December. Um, I, I think having the on-campus aspect to this adds a, a whole new wrinkle. And uh, I, I really was not in favor of an 18 playoff because I didn't want auto births. I'm, I'm very against auto births. But when we got to 12, I think it, it's different, right? It's the top six conferences, which in all likelihood is uh, power five and then a group of, uh, the group of five. But sometimes it does allow uh, a team to sneak in there. And my biggest worry, and I love the wording of it, because what if, uh, let's say, Iowa is eight and four one year. They get into the conference play championship and they beat Ohio State. I, I don't want nine and four Iowa in my playoff, you know? So I think the way they worded it is, is unique, how it's the top six conference champions and then uh, six at larges. So absolutely love it. And uh, it's going to be great for college football. I agree. Uh, number two, which group of five team do you think has the best shot at going undefeated? Ooh, going undefeated. Um, uh, let's see. Louisiana plays Texas, so not them. Um, I haven't looked at Coastal schedule. I know they have a trip to Buffalo. They play Louisiana. Um, Boise goes down to UCF. Uh, um, I will say... Ooh. Uh... uh I'll just say Cincinnati, even though I don't believe it, because they have to do top five teams. Actually, I, I don't think Cincinnati's got a great shot. They play UCF twice. How about Liberty? Uh, <laughs> that's where I thought you were going. <laughs> yeah, they have to win at Ole Miss, uh, but that's that's winnable. Uh, yeah. And then they got to beat Louisiana. Uh, no conference championship game for Liberty. They're an independent, so uh, we'll go with Liberty. Uh, chance to go on the field. Uh, number three, are you? Would you be more confident in San Jose State to repeat as Mountain West champions, or Coastal Carolina to repeat in the Sun Belt? That's a great question. Um, I would say uh, San Jose. Okay. Uh, the, you know, Nick Starkle's back. Uh, they're five to one to win the conference. Uh, I just think Louisiana's really good, guys, and uh, I think uh, Coastal. Uh, you know, better odds, but. I think San Jose State, uh, you know, the, the question marks they have, they're off two wide receivers to the NFL. Other than that, they bring back pretty much everybody. Uh, and I think San Jose State has got a, has got a real shot to, uh, to repeat as conference champion. And uh, number four, who do you think the best coach in college football is, not named Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney? Mm, not named Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney. All right, let's go down. Um, 
Uh, Lincoln Riley. Uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's Lincoln Riley. I mean, what he's done with quarterbacks and wide receivers. Um, yeah, I, I would have to go him. I mean, off the you know, I, I have an affinity to Kenny Amatololo, what he's able to do at Navy, uh, but to be in that upper echelon. I also think Ryan Day is not too far behind. And 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 look, Brian Kelly, uh, the sustainability that they had at Notre Dame, but I don't think they've been able to get over the top. So um, I'll say Lincoln Riley. Number five, without knowing how many campuses you've been to for a game, which game day atmosphere, maybe outside of Notre Dame, is your favorite so far that you've been able to witness? Ooh, uh, I went to Happy Valley uh, for a whiteout game. Granted, I was a Notre Dame fan, so that was uh, not enjoyable. Uh, got their ass kicked. But uh, I would say Penn State uh, is, is, is number one outside of Notre Dame. I'll preface this by saying I've never been to an SEC stadium. So uh, I've never been to Death Valley. Uh, I've never been to Alabama, uh, Georgia, et cetera. A and M's so. my favorite that I've been to. That's what I would recommend. Yeah, oh, Kyle Field looks uh, looks phenomenal. I mean, I, I think it's just different uh, when you get down to the SEC. Yeah. I know that's that's their whole mantra, but uh, that that is uh, to me. I've been to Penn State. I would say that, uh, but there's actually a lot of holes in my uh, college football uh, going to atmospheres. But uh, for me, Penn State on a whiteout. All right, number six, to piggyback, to piggyback off, off of that, off the top of your head, across the whole country, not something that you've necessarily witnessed just in general, what is your favorite college football tradition? Um, I mean, I, I, you know, being part of the Navy broadcast for three years, uh, that, you know, I, I think uh, Army-Navy is, is just something uh, by itself to march on. Uh, if you haven't witnessed that, it's amazing. The whole pregame festivities, uh, everything that's involved in the Army Navy game uh, is is absolutely unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, when Virginia Tech is good, Enter Sandman. Uh, I think the walk and then Enter Sandman is pretty cool. Um, so uh, I would say Army Navy, and then yeah, I would say uh, the Enter Sandman, the walk across campus, and you know when they have a big game like they will Friday night of Labor Day weekend. Uh, even though I don't really have high expectations of the Hokies this year, I think that buildup is pretty uh, is pretty phenomenal. That Friday night of Labor Day weekend, after not having full capacity last year, that yeah. one is something you need to have your TV mm-hmm. on for. Uh, number seven of the Swift Seven, uh, your Heisman pick. We have not touched on that yet, so let's end it with that. Yeah, I mean Spencer Rattler is your favorite. I think it's it's obviously wide open. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the trend right now is the quarterback of the best team in the country is, is more often than not going to win this thing. I know it didn't happen last year with Devontae Smith uh, winning it over Mac Jones. Um, uh, I think Mac Corral's got an opportunity to put up really gaudy numbers at Ole Miss, and you can get him at like 30 to 1. So I think that's someone to look at. Uh, I don't believe in, uh, in Clay Helton, uh, but I think Keaton Slovis has the potential uh, there, but I think it comes down to who's going to win the national championship or who's going to be one of the best teams. I mean, Spencer Rattler's the favorite. I don't like to bet favorites, but would make a ton of sense, right? You think about the track record at Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts finished two. Kyler Murray won it. Baker uh, Maker Mayfield won it. So there's a reason Spencer Rattler is is up there. He's going to put up big numbers, and there's gonna, then they're going to be undefeated. So uh i'll have to go chalk and say spencer rattler bryce young i just i haven't seen enough dj uyunglele has the possibility especially if he has a high profile win but i think if you get matt corral at 30 to 1 remember high profile game week one island game against louisville and i think Ole miss could put up some big numbers i also think he could put up big number against uh, numbers against alabama so i think matt corral is a long shot and then 
Yeah, it's, it's lame, but uh, I, I do think ultimately because I'm high on Oklahoma, I think Spencer Rattler uh, has a really good chance to bring it home. Fair enough. All right, PJ, sometimes he cooks up a nice, really gourmet dish with a trivia question. This time, he went for straight-up volume on you. Um, right. so you, Tim, you this know is how drill. highly I think of you. Usually right. we give guys – so you're going to have to name 10 of these. Oh, God. Usually, yeah. you know, we give guys 7, 8, 9. But I respect your knowledge of college football that I think you can get all 10 in 90 seconds. You all have right. to name – since 2000, the la- all, there have been 10 teams that have been number one in the AP poll to start the season. To start the season. Okay. All right. Florida State. That is Alabama, one. Alabama. Yep. Uh, USC. Yes. Correct. Uh, Oklahoma. Yes. Yep. Um, all right. Ten. Uh, Clemson. Correct. Yep. Um, all right, I got to think back to 2000. LSU? Not LSU. Strike Ooh. one. Right. You got five left. All right. Um, preseason top 10, 2000. Uh, Miami. Correct, correct. 2002. Um, Ohio State? Yep. yep. 2006 and 2015. All right. Uh, so we got seven now. Um, 45 seconds left. So you got plenty right. of time. So we're at 2000, 2001, trying to think of national champions. I'll give you a hint. The last three you're missing, all before 2010. Okay. Um, so I think in Pac-12. Uh, Oregon? Not Oregon. Mm. All right. And uh, let's see. I know I'm going to kick myself when you tell me these. Um, you said no LSU, no Oregon. Uh, what about Florida? Yes. Tebow in 2009 and then in 2001. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Two left. We said, we said Miami, we said Florida State, we got Florida, Ohio State. Uh, I don't think Michigan uh, in that stretch would have been number one preseason. Um, do, 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 middle of the country. Uh, we said Ohio State. Whew. Um, Big 12. Uh, Texas? Not Texas. Not Texas. Good guess, Texas. though. The, uh, two, the two that you missed were ahead, the two Joe. toughest ones. It was, yes. it was Mark Rick's 08 Georgia team. Oh. And then you got to go all the way back to the very first one. This is where PJ kind of screwed you. The first year of this span since, since the turn of the millennium, Nebraska in 2000. Oh, that, nice. was, that was a doozy. Good so. one. That's a good one. So – I was surprised Miami was only – and Florida State were only once. Florida State was only 2014. Miami was only 2002. Georgia was only 2008. And then Nebraska only 2000. Everybody else has done it multiple times. And Bama's okay. done it, what, six times now? Yeah, six yes. times. So, <laughs> Bama was – that was a gimme. A lot of – a couple of those were gimme, but especially Bama. So, well, Tim, I'm glad that this time I actually got to speak to you because last time before bowl season <laughs> – uh, at the time of the interview, I was in the dentist surgery chair. So I'm glad to actually see you this time. Hope everything is going well for you and your family out there in Vegas. And I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for Tim Murray to help, uh, help pay my rent during football season. <laughs> I, I hope so. so it's always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, let's have ourselves a fun and profitable college football season. Amen. It, Amen. Take care, Tim. See you guys.
Once again, that was Tim Murray. Always good to see Tim. Nice enough to join us. It's funny, the hours now with him are so... Right. It's like, Tim, you able to do 3.30 our time, 12.30 your time? Yeah, that works great. So nice of, uh, of Tim to join us. Joe, he's another guy who likes Georgia against Clemson week one. And Clemson has turned into my best bet of week one. I already know I will be all over them. And it's just all this hype around Georgia. And I understand it because of the talent that they have, but I just feel like people are sleepwalking on Clemson. The disrespect that DJ Longalile is getting, I understand he's not Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think he's too far off. He's right. probably I, I one think of the top could two be, quarterbacks in the sport. I think there should be, could be some growing pains, and that's why people think that Georgia's a bad initial matchup for Clemson. Like, if Clemson came out and played – I don't know. Say they had one of those, like some teams are doing now, where they have a, a quick conference game to begin the season. Say they're playing Wake, and then they have a cupcake game. Then they have a tougher uh, non-con game against, say, uh, say a, a South Carolina or something like that, where it's like it's a buildup for a young LA. But you're coming right out of the gates with Georgia. Like, that's where I think people are – I don't know if they're sleeping on Clemson as a whole because you look at the – at the odds, I mean, they're ridiculous favorites to win the ACC. And it's an ACC that has a couple of other contenders this year, as you mentioned last week with North Carolina, with Boston College. And it's, they're almost favored to go undefeated in Vegas right now on the odds. So I don't think they're sleepwalk, sleepwalking on, on Clemson as a whole. I just think they don't like the matchup for week one. And see, I do. Clemson's got the best D-line in the country. And Georgia – they have JT um, Daniels, who's not a mobile quarterback. So, again, we've seen in this new age of college football, when you don't have a mobile quarterback, unless it's, you know, Alabama from last year with Mac Jones and he's just got the best O-line and the best running back and the best receivers, if you don't have that compliment around him, it's going to be tough. And I, I don't know. I just think the way that last season ended for Clemson with that bitter taste and how they lost to Ohio State – I just think it's a big kind of revenge season for them this year. I think Dabo learned a lot of lessons about not how to talk about your opponent. Dabo's been very quiet this offseason. He really hasn't said much about Georgia. I just – I really – I like Clemson. There is so much hype around Georgia. Tim says he likes them in this game. He likes them to make the playoff. He thinks Bama-Georgia could be undefeated going in the SEC title game. So, I really like Clemson. It's going to be a great, great football game. But – uh I'm just surprised how few people are on Clemson in, in this opening game. Yeah, again, I think it's just a matchup. I'm personally on Georgia, too, but, like, I don't have a heavy lean one way or the other. It's a game that I'm not touching in week one when we get there next week. Uh, again, it's just a matter of present matchup versus season as a whole. And when you start talking about, what, like, what Tim thinks, that Bama and Georgia could both be undefeated, just because – Georgia would beat Clemson in week one doesn't eliminate Clemson by any means. Oh, no. They could, they're going to likely run the table after that. Right. And they're going to have one loss, and their one loss is going to be to an undefeated Georgia team that's likely also to make the playoffs. So it doesn't derail their season. It's just something that right out of the gates they, uh, they might struggle with. But uh, that brings us to what a lot of teams are doing. And we didn't touch on it with Tim because it wasn't yet announced. But there was a couple of day break between when we recorded with Tim and we were, when we record our part. College Football Alliance between Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC, um, kind of combating with the SEC, trying to answer 
the additions of Texas and Oklahoma, but I don't know. So how you here's feel. here's it the doesn't really it doesn't really move the needle for me. I don't know how you feel about it, but Joe does absolutely nothing. nothing. And here's here's what here's what the SEC and here's what the Pac-12 and here's what everybody in college football thinks about this alliance. USC and LSU just scheduled a game last night in 2024 in Vegas. So you just have this alliance between the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and then you go out and you schedule one of the best SEC teams to travel across the country to play you week one. So, look, when the SEC took Oklahoma and Texas, the other conferences felt like they needed to counteract something. They had to make some kind of a move. And I like the idea, you know, get Ohio State and Oregon maybe to play more often, get Clemson to play USC. Like, any of these non-conference, high-profile college football games, nobody's going to argue against. But I just, I'm with you. The alliance, like, it sounds all nice and stuff, but the SEC are are still going to get their fair share of teams. Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's all about money. And LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, they bring Oklahoma, Texas, they bring in money. These schools want to play them. So uh, it'll be good for, you know, maybe some mid-tier schools who get a chance to play some of the high-profile teams in other conferences, but I don't really think it's too big an issue. The only way I think it becomes legit and a needle mover is once the playoff expands and teams are no longer afraid to schedule more marquee opponents because when the schedule, when the playoff expands, you'll be able to afford one, two, maybe even three losses, depending on the year. When teams are no longer afraid to schedule that extra tough opponent because of the fact that two losses, you're out pretty much in the current format, you could start seeing, you know, I could see the Pac-12, they, they play nine conference games right now. I could see them cutting that back to like eight, maybe even seven, probably eight, and maybe cutting one of the cupcakes they have on the schedule instead of an FCS school. And they go ahead and they schedule all schools in the three conferences every year have at least one, like so a Big Ten team will have at least one ACC opponent, at least one Pac-12 opponent on the schedule every year. So it's almost like in the NFL, obviously you play all your division teams twice, and then you play the NFC East and the AFC North this year for the AFC East. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like that. So I could see them once you get to the point that the playoff has expanded and you're no longer afraid to lose two or three games because present day that eliminates you. I could see Ohio State saying, all right, this year we're going to schedule Oregon and Clemson. Next year, we're going to schedule USC and UNC. I can see them cycling through like that with one big-time ACC and one big-time SEC opponent. Yeah, like um, pardon me, uh, Pac-12 opponent every year. I can see that becoming a thing, and that would start mo- moving the needle a little bit because now you're almost like the NFL model where you play a couple of non-division teams or non-conference teams every year. So that, that would be fun. Um, as far as the next step, though, if they're going to combat with the SEC, the ACC has to poach Notre Dame on a full-time basis. And the Big Ten, Paul Feinbaum mentioned this last week, they have to go big-time, big-game hunting, and they have to poach Oregon and USC and expand West. Those are the next two teams. I think you look at what Texas and Oklahoma did leaving the Big 12. USC and Oregon are the two biggest brands out West right now in football. and it's been that way for quite some time. And the Pac-12 has been shut out of the playoff, like Tim said earlier, five times. 
Um, if those teams want to blossom and grow from a money standpoint and from a potential playoff standpoint, the Big Ten is not a bad move. And that would that would rattle some cages if you've got now Notre Dame in the SC, in the ACC and you add USC and Oregon to the Big Ten. That competes with the SEC. I still give the edge to the SEC because it's just totally different. And the amount of marquee teams they have and the competition they have is top-notch. Even the bottom of the SEC is better than the bottom of the other conferences. So I give them that. But Notre Dame, ACC, USC, Oregon, Big Ten, now we're talking about some super conferences and the needle really moving around. USC and Oregon to the Big Ten sounds pretty in theory, but that's a that's a tall that's a tall ask right there. <laughs> but that would be fun, and I love your idea about kind of the NFL model of the top team in the Big Ten plays the top team in the ACC and Pac-12. That just would only be better for yep. us. It would make more money for the sport. It'd be better for the teams, for the fans getting to travel to all these places. So I like that idea a lot. Um, Again, week one starts next week. There's five games this week, week zero. The best game is Illinois-Nebraska just because it's two Big Ten teams. The Um, best game of the week is Illinois-Nebraska. It's not a great week. (laughs) Not a great week. Um, The team I'm most excited to see is UCLA. They play Hawaii because UCLA is four-point home dogs against LSU the following week. That spread will likely change based on what UCLA does against Hawaii. But uh, a lot of people are really intrigued by UCLA this year because obviously Chip Kelly's there. This is now his uh, fourth season, and now he's kind of getting his blueprint on the program. And with how wide open the Pac-12 is really after Oregon, um, you know, UCLA, if, if they get hot, they could be right in the conversation to go to the Pac-12 championship game. So five games this week, and then next week is when college football gets going. Jill mentioned it as well with the uh, Pac-12 being so wide open. He didn't have the numbers in front of him, but I do now. Uh, Oregon plus 250, Washington plus 350, Arizona State and USC are both plus 400, and Utah is plus 600. So he mentioned all those teams are right there. There's nothing separating them. It is as wide open as it gets. And again, the reason the Pac-12 has struggled so much is because while other conferences play eight-team conference schedules, the Pac-12 plays 10 teams. And you wouldn't think that makes a lot of difference, but when you got that familiarity with all these different teams, uh, they struggle with it. Oregon, you know, they, they have had undefeated seasons into November, and then they just trip up late in the year. And, and even on like a random, you'll get a random Thursday night, late October, up in Oregon State. Yeah, Corvallis, it, right? It's a, it's a foggy <laughs> night in Corvallis. The fans are raucous. The weather's not great. It's it's raining to start. Then it's foggy. Then it's raining again. And all of a sudden, the top team loses. It happens all the time. All Pac-12 the time. after dark, Joe. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing. It sure is. Um, moving to the NFL now, and we're still three weeks away from the regular season, but there is some starting QB news that is starting to trickulate. Trevor Lawrence named the starter in Jacksonville, no surprise. Maybe a little bit of a surprise. Teddy Bridgewater gets a start in Denver. Andy Dalton's going to be the starter in Chicago. And then it appears that Jameis and Mac Jones will be the starters for the Saints and the Patriots. Trevor's no surprise. Dalton really isn't too much of a surprise either. There was a shot that maybe Fields would get the nod. 
But between assuming Mac and Jameis are indeed the starters, which it appears that they are, along with Bridgewater, which one are you surprised, would you say, is getting the start week one? Uh, one second to circle back to week zero. I did want to make mention, too, your favorite team, San Jose State, also plays 10 p.m. in week zero. So I know you want to be tuning into that. Yeah, I like them. Uh, I like them this year. But the quarterback question, to be honest, I'm not surprised by any of them. Uh, coming into the offseason, Urban Meyer said he wanted to make a competition. Was he ever realistically not starting Trevor Lawrence? No. no. <laughs> um, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, I still think the potential is better for Drew Locke, but look at the situation with Vic Fangio and that defense. They want the guy who's going to make the least mistakes and who's the veteran. That's Bridgewater. Jameis Winston, in his last full season, before sitting the bench last year for the Saints, led the league with 5,100 passing yards. Granted, he had 30 interceptions, but he also had 30 touchdowns. And, I mean, he did get LASIK, if you want to buy the excuse that his eyesight was that bad. And I'll tell you what, if you go back and roll the tape of some of the interceptions he threw out of those 30, I buy the fact that his eyesight was that bad because, <laughs> tell you what, there was some where there was not a buccaneer in the vicinity. Um, and all those almost all those interceptions, uh, Mina Kimes pointed this stat out recently, almost all of those interceptions were short to intermediate routes. He was struggling to see up close line of scrimmage, intermediate routes, anything deep, he was hitting them. And you get him in there as a 5,000-yard passer previously with Sean Payton and the weapons they have, and nobody's talking about Michael Thomas because he's been disgruntled, but once he's healthy and back in the fold, that's huge. Jameis didn't surprise me. I don't think Taysom Hill could start. Taysom Hill's a gadget player, and if you need him to start a couple of weeks during the season, you could make it work. And then Mac Jones, you and I have been talking about the whole time. I thought he was going to beat out Cam. It was starting to get close where I wasn't sure, but this COVID pause for Cam Newton has opened the door wide open for Mac Jones, and he lit it up yesterday. The news came out of the joint practice with the Giants. He was like 25 for 27 in, uh, in, in team period drills against the Giants, which isn't saying much against the Giants' defense, but still. Um, so honestly, none of these surprised me too much. If I had to pick one that was more surprising than the rest, I would probably lean Bridgewater only because it seemed like maybe they did want to give Locke every chance he had to possibly win the job, and he didn't. Um, but again, if you would have asked me a couple months ago, I would have said I would lean Bridgewater just because he – he would minimize mistakes for a good defense. So nothing too surprising, honestly, for me. How about you? I would agree uh, on Mac Jones, Jameis, Trevor Lawrence, not too surprised. Andy Dalton, not really either. Bridgewater, I'm a little surprised in the sense that it's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago with Matt Nagy and how his job is kind of going to be based on how Fields looks. And do you start Fields week one and just completely roll the dice and risk your job on that? And Vic Fangio, he's a defensive-minded guy. Like you said, he wants, he wants to play ball control football. He wants his defense to win him games. He doesn't want his quarterback turning the ball over. So I understand the Bridgewater move. But at the same time, Drew Locke is the quarterback you drafted, you invested in. And with a guy on the hot seat, if he turns the corner, that can really hold some value with you. And just the division that they play in with Mahomes and Herbert and knowing that you know, even though Denver's got a decent defense, it's only going to take you so far. You got to score some points. Now, Bridgewater is a machine against the spread on the road. Carolina lost a lot of one-score <laughs> games last year. So, Teddy will keep you in ball games, which is what Fangio wants. But 
I, I was a little surprised just because, again, Drew Locke, definitely the potential, the ceiling is much higher with him. And with a coach that is on the hot seat, um, even though it's one who's defensive-minded and definitely one who doesn't want to risk as much with Fangio, uh, a little surprised that he would go with Bridgewater to start the season. But again, from his perspective, I understand it. As I was going through that, I actually forgot about Fields and, and Dalton, as you mentioned. Actually, that's my answer um, because I get your point with, with Bridgewater, but think of the context. Fangio's a defensive guy. If the Broncos this year were to go maybe nine and eight with Bridgewater or eight and nine with Bridgewater, but they would go six and 11 or seven and 10 with Locke, I think Fangio buys himself another year with a near 500 season and Bridgewater if the defense is playing well because he's a defensive coach and if they would lose more games by taking the risk with Locke. Flip side of that, Nagy being an offensive guy, I am surprised he's not starting fields because this team could go hypothetically five and 12 with Dalton and four and 13 with fields. I think he'd have a better chance of keeping his job if he went four and 13 with fields and fields looked good and was progressing throughout the season because that's Nagy's job. Nagy was there with the chiefs. Nagy's here. Now his goal is offensive forward thinking and, and developing quarterbacks. If you go, you know, I'll even up that instead of, Instead of a one-win difference, you could go you could go eight and nine with Andy Dalton, just miss the playoffs like last year when they went eight and eight and just snuck into the playoffs with Mitch Trubisky. You could go eight and nine, just miss the playoffs with Andy Dalton. You could go four and thirteen with Justin Fields, but he progressively looks better the whole season. The four and thirteen, Nagy would keep his job. The eight and nine, Nagy's fired because his job now is tethered to the success of Fields. And I thought he would get him out there sooner. It's probably. I think going to be, remember a few years ago, more than a few years ago now, when um, uh, the Texans, what did they have? Was it when they had Deshaun Watson? They made the start early in the season for Hoyer. And then they quickly went to Deshaun mm-hmm. when Bill O'Brien wasn't, was trying not to do that. And he like mm-hmm. pulled the plug after like a game or two. Mm-hmm. I could see that happening here where it's like, all right, well, Sorry, Andy, you didn't really do well in week one or two. Right. You adjusted in week three. Like, I could see Nagy being very impatient as the season begins because he knows in the back of his mind that his job – he should know. If he doesn't know, he just lacks awareness. He should know that his job is tethered to the success of Fields and has nothing to do with Dalton. I get that. Uh, I think, too, a lot of it has to do with the opponent that they're playing week one. The fact that it's Sunday night, you got to play against the Rams, one of the better defenses, has a lot to do with it. Um, But I'm with you. Dalton could last maybe two, three weeks until they go to fields. Um, I already think Matt Nagy's done, though. The way Trubisky looked for Buffalo in the preseason, I get it was against backups, but uh, that's just that's not a good look if you're Matt Nagy. Um, but we'll see what happens. Those are pretty much the only uh, quarterback jobs that were in question. Again, Jameis and Mack, we assume they're the starters, um, but we'll see what happens the final couple weeks. Joe, now to baseball as we near September. Um, the postseason is heating up. And look, the thing that is catching my eye, obviously the Yankees and their winning streaks getting a lot of talk. Oakland struggling, Boston struggling, but those Seattle Mariners just keep hanging around. And the best part for Mariners fans is 
they have a couple series upcoming with Houston. So while your entire focus is on the wild card right now, you're six games back of the Astros. If in those six games you go four and two against them, five and one, all of a sudden you're looking at the division. And uh, they also play Boston and Fenway in September. So they have some big series coming up. But Oakland, they have the Yankees uh, tonight on Thursday. They play a four-game set against the Yankees, and they need to figure it out in a hurry. Uh, the Yankees, like I said, they won 11 in a row. They're rolling right now. Um, but the A's are losing ground fast, and they need to regain that. The Yankees, I will say, even though they're hot, they won 11 in a row, Chapman is a real issue. He's just he's not the same guy. And that's why I don't trust the Yankees come the postseason. After Cole, I still don't think they have a proven starter. Their hitters are too much boom or bust in the postseason. You need guys that can put the ball in play, that can work some at-bats. You just can't go every hitter outside of LeMahieu is home run or nothing. And like I said, the bullpen, Chapman, you know, we'll see what happens with Britton when he comes back. Um, Chad Green's been iffy. But to me, Tampa is still the team to beat. I know you like Houston. Chicago's a fun young team, too. But Tampa, to me, is still the team to beat. And I'm rooting for Seattle. It's been so long. I hope they find a way to get in there. That'd be awesome for the city and for the sport, too, if the Mariners could find a way to get in. It's looking like, I mean, you start looking down the list like you were mentioning. It's looking like the Mariners have a real shot. And I didn't think that was going to be possible. But it's not going to be easy. It's really going to be tough down this. Well, that's what I'm here. saying. I mean, they play yeah. Houston, they play Oakland, yeah, they they're going to have to. They're going to have to win all those games against teams that are are ahead of them because right. you, you're game back of the A's, you're three games back of the Red Sox. Don't think you're catching the Yankees. So it's it's for that last spot between the A's, the Mariners, and the Red Sox at this stage. Maybe the Blue Jays sneak into it. They're a couple games back of the Mariners, so it's going to be really tough. Um, for me, I, I'm, I'm looking around and it's, <laughs> I still, I'm just in awe of what the Yankees are doing after the trade deadline. I mean, credit to Brian Cashman for going all in the way he did. And it's just, it's just crazy to watch. I mean, the team is, has an, uh, a win percentage of nearly 850 since the trade deadline. It's absolutely absurd. Yep. Um, nothing has really changed. I don't think in my eyes, as far as who I look at as the contenders, except for the Yankees entering the fold. Um, the Rays, we see this every year almost, where they're, they're lights out in the regular season. They're pesky in the postseason. They haven't gotten it done in the end. Um, without a glass now to, to really be your, your true ace anchor in the postseason, I have a harder time trusting them. Last year they had glass now and Snell. This year both of those guys are gone. Every year they recycle and have somebody else, but I can't trust them as, a, as the main contender in the AL. Uh, the Yankees... I'm wanting to trust them more because of the way they're playing, but you know how it goes. Like we, like you mentioned going into the postseason, where it's home run or bust and it's been bust the last few years for them. I don't trust their rotation at all. I don't trust the back end of their bullpen at all. Too many cracks in the foundation. Red Sox are sitting like a stone. I think they're going to miss out on the playoffs. White Sox are very well rounded team. Astros are a well rounded team and they're battle tested in the postseason. My allegiance still lies with the Astros as far as the contender in the AL. But the Yankees have given me something to think about if they can show any improved pitching down the stretch, which they still have not. So that's that's the thing there. 
uh, in the NL. So, obviously, everybody's talking about the two teams out west, the Giants and Dodgers. The team that I would not want to play in the playoffs is the Brewers oh. for their pitching. That is a team I would not want to see. They're going to win the Central. They're going to, they won't have to play in the wild card. They're going to get a five-game division series. And, I mean, when they get into the later innings and they throw Trevor Williams at you and then they throw Josh Hader at you, I mean, it's just, it's ball game over. They remind me a lot of that Royals team when they had Herrera yes. and Davis and uh, Holland in the back end. It's the same thing. I've seen it before. And the Brewers lineup, it's a lot of the same things. They don't have huge household names, but they have really good, solid players throughout that lineup. Ever since Craig Council's been there in Milwaukee, they've been a perennial playoff team. And look, you don't have to worry about anybody in the NL East. The Braves are an incredible story, how they turn it around, but they're not a threat in the playoffs. Um, and then we'll see what happens with the second wild card, whether it's Cincinnati or the Padres. You'd obviously rather play the Reds just because when you get in the playoffs, stars matter. And when you have to face Darvish and Snell and a Paddock or something like that in a five-game series, you don't want to do that. But the Giants are going to be heavy, heavy favorites, or excuse me, the Dodgers are going to be heavy, heavy favorites. The Giants, the way they're playing, a lot of people will maybe think they can keep it going. But the Brewers, to me, if you're looking for a sleeper team in these playoffs, that is the team I would get behind. Yeah, it's not a bad call at all. The Brewers, they're a team that I honestly didn't trust for a long portion of the season until their pitching really came on, especially in the second half. I remember we sat here talking at the about the halfway point and I thought the Cardinals, once they started to get guys back, Flaherty back from the IL, I thought the Cardinals could make some noise. I expected the Cardinals to make a bigger deal at the deadline like they usually have in, in years past. They kind of sat quiet. Pitching hasn't really come around. Flaherty came back for a couple games. Now he's hurt again, so they're not closing any ground. The Reds continue to surprise. Um, the NL East, I mean, it's pretty much the Braves now. That's, that's been the biggest surprise of the second half. We talked about that last week. Um, the NL, it's just, it's just not interesting to me right now because it's, it's so top-heavy in the NL West. The most interesting thing right now is the fact that the Padres are actually in a battle for the wild card, which we never expected was going to happen. No. Um, that 16-inning game last night was nuts between the Dodgers and the Padres as well. Uh, oh, so, I want that wild card game so bad. I want yeah. it so bad. No, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's something that we have to root for down the stretch here. But we also have to make sure that the Dodgers don't close in and take it from the Giants because the Dodgers are now only two and a half back as well, and right. they play each other plenty. Um, so the, the NL, for me, it, it has been less interesting as a whole than, than the AL just because we've known the NL West. The Brewers haven't had any competition in the Central since May. We're sitting yeah. here in August, and the NL East is just the worst division in baseball, and I've just been so disheartened by the Mets that I haven't really cared. So <laughs> I've been more focused on the AL and the NL, uh, yeah. but the postseason does post some interesting matchups for the NL as well. It'll be good. Look, the Orioles were out of it on April 5th. So <laughs> I'm just rooting for, I'm just rooting for the Mariners at this point. Uh, hey, they, they finally won last night though. They stopped the losing streak at Don't 20. you love baseball? They beat Otani. Look, it's a good thing they did Joe, because they have Toronto, Tampa and the Yankees coming up. So there was a legit, chance that thing would have hit 30 straight yeah but they got the win last night they'll probably lose 10 in a row and start another streak but uh yeah they they finally won a game 
Yeah, um, I was holding out some hope that the Mets could turn things around just because their next 14 games for the Mets are against the Nats and the Marlins, and the Braves have some tough, have a pretty tough schedule coming up. So I was hoping the Mets could cut it back down to three or four and make it interesting in September, but I'm not. I'm not holding my breath. You finally, uh, yeah, especially because the Mets, the Mets play the Braves in Atlanta the last three games of the season. Yeah, so I just want them to get it within three. Sure, just to, just to have it interesting. I feel but you. It, and and the target number, of course, for that would be four because there's seven games back right now. So all I got to do is make up four games going into the last series of the year to at least have a chance. And again, with 14 coming up against the Marlins and the Nats. It's doable, but yeah. Whoever uh, did the Mets schedule is just, they played the Nats. Then they played the Dodgers. Then they played the Giants. Then they played the Dodgers. Then they played the Giants. Then they played the Nats. Then they play the Marlins, the Nats and the Marlins again. Crazy. What are we doing? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, and, and, and the, again, the brave schedule, the brave schedule coming up is not the easiest. They have three, starting against the Giants tomorrow. They're, they're doing what the Mets just did. The Braves have three against the Giants and three against the Dodgers. Um, they don't have 13 against those teams like the Mets did. Oh, but for God. them, the next six are against those teams. If they go two and four while the Mets are playing the, the Marlins and, and the Nats, the Mets at the end of uh, – at, at the beginning of September, by September 2nd, the Mets could be – instead of seven back like they are now, they could be back within three or four which would make September really interesting. But um, the Braves, for the, the meat of September, have an easy schedule with the Rockies and the Marlins and the Nats. Uh, but towards the end of the month, though, again, the Braves, they have three against the Giants, three against the Padres, three against the Phillies before they go ahead and play the Mets. And on the flip side, uh, the, the Mets, again, they have this easy stretch coming up with the Nats and the Marlins. Um, but and down the stretch of September though, it it's still you still see the Marlins again, so there's still life there. So I'm not getting my hopes up too much, but like I'm, I'm ready for it. It's to be over. For, I'm ready to move yeah, on just, to football season. You just get to football season. There you <laughs> go. Um, before we get into prop bets and trivia, I just wanted to say the PGA Tour is out in Baltimore this week. Looking forward to that. I'll be there Friday and Saturday. Can't wait. I'm excited. It's like a mini major. You got the top 70 players in the FedEx Cup. So all the big dogs are here at Caves Valley. I thought the coolest thing, so on Wednesday at every PGA Tour event, they kind of have the Pro-Am where celebrities from that area can come out and play with some of the pros. So at the event yesterday on Wednesday in Baltimore, Jordan Spieth was paired with Michael Phelps and Kevin Plank, the CEO of Under Armour, because of course Spieth is an Under Armour guy, Phelps is an Under Armour guy. So uh, how's that for, for a grouping right there? Between there those three, pretty good. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens in the golf this week. It's first time the PGA Tour has been to Caves Valley, so nobody really knows to, what to expect. Nobody kind of – I mean, you have your idea of how players will play just because of the course and maybe how they've done it, similar kind of courses like it, but you really don't know. So I'm excited to, uh, to see it and should be a fun week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Um, all right, Joe. Prop bets time. Let me uh, pull my thing up. We, uh, yeah, so as everybody knows, we've been following along each week. We've been kind of doing prop bets leading up to the start of the NFL season. So this one, we each have a new one. 
And uh, I'll start with mine, Joe. Let me go. Let me just recap the last one yeah, so far. I have the list here, um, and I'm scrolling because I accidentally just clicked out of it like an idiot. Uh, da, 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 da. I'll find it in a second. I promise. Uh, you know what? Just go ahead because I'm still looking. I literally just had it open. Dang. I have a. Uh... So I'm going Clyde Edwards-Alaire over 875 and a half rushing yards this season. I think with the extra game, Kansas City isn't going to put as much on Mahomes' shoulders. I think they were scarred by that Super Bowl, how he ran around for his life, injured himself. They revamped the O-line. They brought in Orlando Brown, Joe Thune, two guys that will help them tremendously in the run game. And Clyde, all those expectations that we had for him going into last season, his rookie year, the comparisons of Westbrook with Andy Reid and now Edwards Alaire to Andy Reid. And now nobody's really talked about him heading into this season. You look at who Kansas City's number two back could be, and it's like Jarek McKinnon, who's in his first year with the team. So now that Clyde's got that first year under his belt, he finally has an OTA. He finally has OTAs preseason. I think it's going to be a big year for him on the ground. They're not going to ask Mahomes to do as much as he's been doing in the regular season, take some of that weight off of his shoulders. And uh, I like Clyde over 875 and a half. Over 875 and a half. And what was the odds? Uh, the odds for that were minus 120. At minus 120. Okay, I did find the list here. Uh, so, so far, PJ, you have o- um, over – Five and a half, 200 plus yard receiving games. Yep. At plus 150. You have Cowboys plus 145 to miss the playoffs. Yep. Goff under 4,000 and a half at minus yep. 110. Then you had last week, leading rusher has over 16 and a half touchdowns at minus 120. Mm-hmm. And plus 700, the Lions, the lowest scoring team. Correct. This week you go CEH. 875.5 at minus 20. Uh, we only have to do one this week because yep. we didn't miss last week. I do have two, however, that I'm going to throw out there. So if you have a second one you want to throw out as well, you go for it. But I was choosing between these two this week, and I said, screw it. I'll just give them both. Um, first one, and PJ, you know that I do not bet with my heart when it comes to the Jets or any of my teams. No, um, never. Because last year – Last year, I, that wasn't sarcasm. I think you thought it was sarcasm, but that wasn't because last year. Well, I, I it was at the beginning, and then I heard you say bet, and then I'm like, no, he actually doesn't. When it comes yeah, to betting, yeah. he doesn't do that. Yeah, because last year, if you remember, I fa- I bet against the Jets the first ten weeks of the year, and I had friends texting me like, dude, you can't do that. Like, absolutely, I can. They suck, and I'm going to make money off of them sucking. It's a <laughs> genius business model, and I won nine of the ten weeks. So, uh, I, I I am not somebody who bets with my heart. Um, this is a fully objective pick here. Zach Wilson plus 700 rookie of the year. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, that offense looks dreadful and he lost Travis Etienne. Justin Fields is plus 500. He's not even starting at least to begin the season behind Zach Wilson, Trey Lance at plus 700. He's probably not going to start much at all. Then Najee Harris at plus 900. That one scares me. That one scares me, but Zach Wilson actually has a more than halfway decent O-line now. He has Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder. He's got Tevin Coleman in the backfield with Michael Carter that they just drafted. Uh, he's got Denzel Mims as well at receiver, the second-round pick from last year. 
he has by far the best supporting cast of any of the rookie quarterbacks. And you know that that award typically goes to a quarterback unless somebody does something crazy at a different position. So it's typically a quarterback award. He is set up as the best quarterback in terms of the position he's in. LaFleur is the offensive coordinator. It's a very quarterback-friendly system. It's one that was very similar to what Wilson did at BYU, and he didn't have to really learn much. And LaFleur is combining sort of the systems of his brother and of Kyle Shanahan. So it's very QB-friendly. He's got the weapons. The schedule's not too bad. And he looked terrific in the first two preseason games. Um, I'm going with Zach Wilson plus 700 rookie of the year. And then the second one that I was looking at that I figured I would throw out there as well, just because I kind of liked it uh, with what I've been seeing at a training camp. And again, taking stock around the league, Calvin Ridley plus a thousand to lead the league in receiving yards. The other players up there with him are DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Uh, But Calvin Ridley, I think without Julio Jones this year and with Kyle Pitts there, maybe as a red zone hog, but not a hog for the rest of the field. I think Calvin really could have the volume uh, with the relationship he now has with, with Matt Ryan and with what he's shown the last couple of seasons. I could see a big year, a big number, like 15, 1600 uh, for, for Calvin Ridley. Actually, add to that because I'm still doing the mental math of a 16-game 16. season. Yeah. So uh, even, even tack more onto that. I like him at plus 1,000 to lead the league in receiving yards and Zach Wilson at plus 700 to win rookie of the year. Yeah, uh, both interesting picks. Um, the Ridley one, I think, is a good outside shot. Wilson, too. The thing I just worry with Wilson is I just don't know if the Jets are going to win enough games. It doesn't matter. Well, with Rookie it, of the Year, matters. yeah, it doesn't matter as much. But I think they need to somewhat be kind of relevant. I, I mean, they'll probably win about six or seven games. But Rookie of the Year, it's not a, it's not a wins award. It's strictly a stats award. Yeah. Um, and if they're going to be, and, and the defense is going to be, uh, especially after losing Carl Lawson, if the defense is going to be, instead of the potential top 10 defense it was, if it's going to be middle of the pack and they're going to be in games that are more of a shootout, not big time shootouts, but if they're going to be playing a lot of 32, 27 games, that's ample opportunity for him to rack up the stats too. So we will see what happens. Uh, yeah, I only have just the one prop bet. I'll stick with that um, because the other one will probably be a loser too. So no, <laughs> no problem to give out another loser. Uh, Joe, trivia time now. We, uh, we've been pretty hot recently, the two we of have. us. You're still up by one, 23 to 22. Um, would you like my question first or do you want to give me yours first? What sport is yours? Mine's college football. I'll take yours first. Okay. My question, um, so there's nine answers. My question is places that college game day has never been in the Power oh, Five. Oh, I like Okay. That. So you have to give me six of the nine. Um, okay. I'll help you out with the conferences. So there's one Pac-12, one Big 12, four ACC, and three Big Ten. Okay. Okay. Three Big Ten, four ACC, one Pac-12, one Big Twelve. Correct. If you can give okay. me six of those nine schools, I will give it to you. Okay. I know Maryland's one. Maryland is one. That is correct. Okay. Because I thought we were going to get it last year at some point, but then COVID hit, and obviously, yeah, not not a possibility. Um, who else in the Big Ten? Since that's what I'm most familiar with, I can't imagine they've been to Champaign. They have not. That All is right, two. That's two. That's two. Uh, they've definitely been to Wisconsin. 
they were at Purdue for the game against Ohio State with Tyler Trent. Northwestern, they had to have been at some point playing Ohio State. Northwestern's been good enough. Nebraska? Not Nebraska. Not Nebraska. Uh, one strike for them. Okay. They've I definitely think they were in, there for Ohio State uh, last year. Okay. Dude. They've definitely been to Minnesota. They've definitely been to Iowa. Um, Rutgers. Rutgers. Rutgers is correct. Okay. You got 40 seconds left, and you got three. You need uh, three more. Okay. Will I find the last one in the Big Ten? No, there's just know. three in the Big Ten. Four oh, ACC. three. Oh, four in the ACC. Four in the ACC. Okay. One Pac-12, one Big Ten. Oh, one Big 12. Okay. Um, you got 20 seconds, so you need to well, speed it up K-State sucks. K-State? Not, not K-State. They've been to Manhattan? Good God. 15 uh, seconds left. Wake Forest? Wake is one. That is correct. You need two more. Ten seconds. Oh, God. Right, my best shot is here in the ACC. Uh, Georgia Tech? Not Georgia Tech. In the Georgia that Tech? Is three strikes. K-State, I know they went to back when, like, Colin Klein was the quarter. They were, like, number uh, two in the country at one yeah, point. Yeah, they were. You're right. You're um, right. They were good. So the ACCs that you were missing, they've never been to Duke. They've uh, never been to Syracuse. They've never, really? been to, never been to Virginia. And then Wake Forest. And then uh, the one that I thought you would get, uh, but you didn't really think about the – if you had to think about the Big 12 other than K-State, would you have another guess? Uh, the Big 12 other than K-State? Um, Kansas? There you go. But, but the thing is, I, I thought – They were really thinking, good that one that year. One, that one year where the number one ranking yeah. changed like three times in three weeks – I figured they would have been there. That's why I didn't say Kansas. Right, fair. Um, that year it was like it was Kansas. It was Mizzou with right. Chase Daniels and who else was so there? So I think game day was. I think that was a Missouri home game. They played it uh, at Arrowhead because it was Missouri right. Kansas, and then so um, okay. and then the last one in the Pac-12. They've never been to Cal, and they've had um, Lynch and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I don't think Jackson I don't think I would have gotten Cal. So, yeah, I don't think I would have gotten Cal if I wasn't under so much pressure with the time. I might have pulled the ACC schools. Definitely would have thought Georgia Tech, but I guess Georgia Tech with like Calvin Johnson, maybe they would have had something there sometime. So rambling wreck, right. baby. There you go. All, All right. right. We got baseball for years. Mm. It's our last episode. Miguel Cabrera joined the 500 home run club. There are seven active players who are within 200 of the milestone, meaning they're at least 300 home runs or more. Okay. So essentially, I guess it's a fancy way of asking the question, <laughs> who are the seven active players uh, that are between 700 and 500 career home runs? I would between, like five of them. Between 500 and 700? Or no, 300 I'm, sorry, and 500. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm saying too like many none. numbers. <laughs> saying too many numbers. I'm saying too many numbers. Who are the seven players that are between 300 and 500 home runs? Give me five of the seven. Okay. Got you. I know Trout and Stanton are two. Trout, correct, with 310. Stanton with 334, correct. Um, let's see. Wouldn't be Judge yet. Anybody on the Red Sox? No. Orioles, no. I'll go Nelson Cruz. Tampa. Nelson Cruz is the closest at 443. Uh, two more. Toronto, nobody. Um, Cleveland. Only 30 Chicago. seconds, got You got a minute left. Minnesota, KC. Ooh, Salvi? No, I don't think Salvi's done it. Tigers, Astros. 
goes. Forty seconds. Hmm. Let's see. Um, I'll go Cano. Robbie Cano is one of them. Yes, I thought that would be tough because he's not actually playing. But give me All one right. more. Um, you currently have uh, three, and the two guys tied in fourth, and then Trout actually in ninth. I'll and go Joey Votto. Joey Votto is correct at number seven. Nice. There you go. There you go. So we're tied um, again, right? We're tied again. Yes. Tied again. Uh, the other two are Justin Upton and Evan Longoria. Oh yes, would not yeah. have gotten those. Yep. Between those are the guys, all between three and five. Upton and Longoria. Interesting. All right, very nice. We're tied at 23, Joe. There we go. Tied at 23, (laughs) heading into September. That's good. That's good. You know what? We're getting the competitive juices flowing again with trivia. We're getting best bets on its way next week with a full college football slate. We thought about doing it this week, but you look at the week zero schedule, and it's just pass. Please. I'm I'm not betting on anything in this week zero slate. I gotta tell I you bet, what, I say that now, I might get suckered into it's a, football. I mean a Hawaii UCLA bet for Hawaii. Well, football. is Gus gonna be on the call for Nebraska and Illinois? That's the question. I believe I believe so. Well, that in itself is worth watching. So yeah, might tune <laughs> might tune in. I bet Nebraska minus seven because I, I've heard a lot of people that like Illinois. So once I see that, I'm like, oh, you guys are all on them. I think it's I think UCLA here. is 17 and a half right now on yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. And I think the first game for Hawaii, uh, obviously with the passing of, of Cole Brennan is gonna be an emotional game. Mm. And like a I little can look ahead for them. UCLA to LSU. A, yeah, it's it's a look ahead for you for UCLA. It's uh. an emotional game uh, on the flip side for Hawaii. Um I, I could like see that being a bit of a trap there for UCLA, and it's 17 and a half. Yeah. So I could you know backdoor cover is screaming itself in that game um so i could that's if there's anything that i play in week zero that's the only thing it might be i like it i like it all right well we'll see what happens in week zero when we're back next week we'll have week one of the college football season thanks again to tim murray for joining us we will see you all again in september